1: Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK, and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. I'm Rob Weaver, Technical Editor in Chief. Today I'm joined by Tracy Mosley. For those not in the know, Tracy has 25 years of racing experience under her belt, accumulating no less than three Enduro World Series titles two Downhill World Cup overalls, 16 Downhill World Cup wins, a Downhill World Championship and has been crowned British national champ seven times. So, Trace, how are you doing?
0: Good, thank you. That sounds like I've been racing my bikes a
1: long time, but I guess I have. (laughs) Make me feel old. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess you have sort of stepped away from racing full time now, but you're still heavily involved, right? yeah definitely it's
0: i mean i haven't i kind of retired really properly in 2015 um so yeah it's been been quite a few years but kind of found myself after having toby three years ago kind of now back back at the world cups back at some ews and and yeah very much involved with trek factory racing program across all three programs really for downhill enduro and cross country so definitely back in the thick of it um just not on the uh, the racing side myself, so other side of the fence these days, but still, yeah, great to be involved and part of our amazing sport.
1: But you've also got Timo Racing on the go, which is your grassroots programme, right?
0: Yeah, so that's still kind of been taking along. It's very much a, a grassroots thing. So it's, it's UK-based, um, <laughs> some support from Trek UK with I've got three young riders racing cross-country and enduro, um, and... Yeah, it's tried to keep it as kind of as low key as possible, but it still does take up some of mine and, and potentially James's time of doing some Um So, yeah, just a, li- <laughs> a little project, but just love to kind of keep my name out there and certainly help some of the youngsters that I've, I feel I've got really good potential on the, that I've kind of local to me originally, how it started. It's kind of spread yeah. now to, they're all actually living in Peebles, bizarrely. So, it's like a little satellite team <laughs> based in the
1: borders. So, yeah, it's cool. Well, I, I think maybe we should sort of, come back to that sort of, uh, that, that stuff in a little bit, but if we can just take it right back and just, I, I guess, get a more, a bit more depth as to, you know, where, where did the passion for bikes for you start?
0: Um, I grew up on a, a dairy farm, uh, in Malvern, Worcestershire and had an older brother, Ed, um, only two years older than me. So I think we, we grew up basically just riding bikes on the farm, you know, and always had, a bmx a kind of old racing bike whatever we could have that was old and hanging around the farm and just razz around there ed started making like what back in the day what would now be north shore but it was just planks on bricks um (laughs) and just trying to balance across that trying to like wheelie up stuff and then we had woods on the farm where we had some really steep shoots and i've got memories of us going up there pushing our bikes up and i was on a 21 inch frame xc bike when you look back now and think i would probably ride a 17 and a half inch like it was massive saddle was just slammed the top sheep and we were descending down some pretty steep stuff i look back now and think that was pretty steep so just played on bikes as kids basically and then eventually ed started doing some cross-country races locally with some some lads that were local to us that started racing and it kind of snowballed from there. Um, Malvern Hills Classic was a huge, big bike race back in the early 90s and that was on our doorstep. So went to that a couple of years yeah. Yeah. And eventually ended up racing the dual slalom there and and doing really well. And Ed then said to me, no, you really need to try racing. You're good. You're better than a lot of these girls that I see every weekend. You should do it. So slowly kind of encouraged me and convinced me to give it a go. And it, yes, yeah, just snowballed from there from basically when i was 15 racing downhill to then racing world cups and and beyond and here 20 odd years later still um, still at the races so
1: been cool so so in those early days did you ever consider being a pro or was that wasn't that was that maybe something that never really crossed your mind you were just doing it for the fun
0: i totally had no expectations or goals with it it was just yeah something i wanted to do that was it was fun i enjoyed it um we went as a family so I was hanging out with Ed and 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 the family at the races and I had absolutely no no kind of plan or idea of where it would go and every year I felt like this you know this might be the last year I might do it next year and it just it kept just just continuing opportunities kept arising I kept getting better and once I finished university that was then the kind of the chance to like okay maybe I should give this a go so that was in 2000 and I've never really kind of looked back. Although I, even when I finished racing downhill, I had no enduro. Hadn't even um, the World Series anyway. hadn't ex, wasn't in existence. So I finished racing um, in 2011 at downhill, and then 2013 hmm. the Enduro World Series starts. And it just I kind of just fell into the the next thing. Um, and even now this job with Trek, it was never like a plan. It's just kind of evolved, and I found myself in this role now. So. It's definitely, yeah, there was never a, a big grand plan. It's just opportunities have arised and I've taken them, I guess, and still found myself enjoying it, doing doing well at it and having fun. And that's the main thing.
1: I, I was trying to remember back to one of the first times I think I spotted you at a race and I think you would have been a junior riding for the Volvo Cannondale development team. Is that right?
0: That's right, yeah. That would have been 96, probably,
1: I would say. was the Yeah, around then. I think I saw you at Cheddar somewhere, maybe at a national or something. Yeah, it would have been. So that was like the first proper team. So the first
0: kind of bike I ever had that was was actually given to me by Helen Mortimer, who was at the time one of the best downhill female races we had in the UK, and she had a Diamondback sponsorship. Yeah. And um, I, she ended up giving me like her previous year's bikes because I was on some... I can't remember what it was like I think it's actually a Trek 950 hardtail I was racing downhill on and then uh, <laughs> I got her old bikes from the previous year for the to race in 95 and then Cannondale started off like a junior team and, and asked me if I wanted to ride for them in 96 so that was the my first kind of sponsorship deal and it was amazing actually that was just when the first proper downhill bikes basically came <clears throat> came into I remember <clears throat> turning up at national with this a crazy big super V downhill bike with moto forks, and everyone was like, "Wow, look at this thing!" Mm. And it was some like space age looking downhill motorbike almost. So it was, yeah, it's incredible what's how the sport has changed in those in those years really
1: from those early days. And then, did you? Am I right in thinking you moved from there onto Kona? Is that right? And you were with Kona for a long time.
0: Yes, I was with Kona from 2000 until 2009. So I had like nine years with with them. And then being on Trek ever since 2009. So only actually three different bike companies over the long, long years that it's been. So That's yeah, most people always ask me like, what, what bike should I buy? What bike should I buy? I'm probably the worst person to actually know, <laughs> having ridden so few brands, to be quite honest. So um, yeah, it's been nice to be able to be, to be able to be that loyal and and find good partners and stick with them and make it work. It's been, it's been really cool.
1: It, I'm guessing it was pretty interesting Kona while Fabian was there especially I can imagine a lot of testing a lot of experimentation with bike setup and stuff like that
0: yeah for sure um it was it was a great experience to get to ride with Fabian to get to ride the terrain that around his home area to get lots of kind of French um French races in Maxis Cups back in the day we did loads of racing down in the south of France in that area so it was great experience and and yeah someone who was that Kind of particular about everything um, setup wise. They was always trying to find, trying to find an advantage somewhere. Um, and yeah, it was it was definitely helped my riding and had a wheel to follow that was was pretty rapid. But I
1: guess that you know didn't really end there. And then you moved on to Trek, and obviously their program was just starting to really um, elevate in terms of who was on the program at the time. And obviously you were one of the top ones. But you you know there was. I mean, who else were you joined by at that point? When did when did Gwyn get on board?
0: Um, first year of Trek World Racing was myself, um, Andrew Neathling, and Justin Leov for the first year. Mm. Two years, I think, actually, if I'm right in saying, and I think it was the final year that Aaron joined in 2011 was my kind of final year. But so it was that in itself that was incredible just to have a, a year of riding with Aaron, walking courses with him, having his. A incredible like pinpoint accuracy of how he would walk a trail and where he rode his bike. And he was, like, he put his, he knew when he's right, when he's walking a track, this is where I'm going to ride my bike. And it was like inch perfect. Um, and just, yeah, a different kind of way of looking at a track, I think coming from motocross, that speed element, he just, he was able to process stuff almost like faster than the rest of us could. It felt like, um, and yeah, it was very, very cool to have yet another, you know, really influential top guy to, to be able to kind of learn from and try and follow. So I've been, been pretty, pretty lucky, I think. And, and Justin, if I'm honest as well, was for me for the enduro days. He came back to racing for Trek um, when we did the Enduro World Series and he was pretty much the guy that I rode course practice with every, every weekend, every race, um, and got towed into stuff at speeds that were uncomfortable for me but made me a hell of a lot faster. So
1: it's been great having such good teammates all, all through the years, really. Yeah, is there any that you think may have particularly stood out or any that you feel like you've really learnt some sort of key racing lessons from?
0: Um I think everyone's got their, you know, their own way of doing things, but I think for me I've got the best memories of the kind of of, of me and Justin days on the enduro just because that was so much bike time. I think, you know, so many different venues, we were out for hours, yeah. you know, big days of peddling. Right. This was back in the day before you really did much uplift and it became probably more downhill focused now, I would say, for the EWS, whereas those first few years were very much kind of big peddling days. Um, lots of kind of almost blind racing and, yeah, we just, I definitely learnt, really learned a lot from just sitting on his wheel and <clears throat> trying to, read the terrain and go fast and we had some some great times
1: so sort of in relation to I guess how long your career sort of spanned how have you managed to stay so motivated for so long I mean I think if I look at the weather forecast and it's looking pretty rubbish I struggle to get out but you know thinking about doing it year after year it it just seems insane
0: I guess it's kind of my career has evolved as well so it's always been like a a new challenge um I agree with your your thing now I can't say that um the last few years I've been particularly um, good at getting out and the weather's not been great but um, I think when it was you know when it was my job and I had I had I always had goals that I wanted to achieve I think with racing and that was the thing that that definitely drove me um I'm hugely kind of competitive and determined and I think for all those years of downhill racing that world championship title was the thing that really was that got me year on year wanting to achieve that when I did finally achieve the world championships it was then I kind of turned my attention to the world of enduro and then it was that was the next challenge of how am I going to get fast for this discipline that was new how what did I need to do to become better Mm -hmm. at it and and as that evolved how my kind of focus and training changed and Bikes evolved from 26 inches to 29. There were so many things going on, so there was always something new. And I think that change from downhill to Enduro was also the perfect timing for me to keep that motivation and focus because we were going to new venues. The whole sport was new. It was. It really was a cool time to, to be involved and it, it kept it exciting and a new challenge for me
1: all the time. And is that is that the case after you've sort of, even after you've got your first Enduro World Series title under your belt? It, you're so hungry for the second and third
0: um yeah i guess so i mean again it was that was an unexpected thing to be able to turn up to a new discipline and no one knew it i remember that first ever race in punta it was like there was x downhill races there was x cross-country riders there was a load of people that had just ridden enduro in france because france was kind of the, the hotbed of, of enduro so and no one really knew who was going to come out on top with all those different backgrounds and mm. and strengths so To be able to come out and win that first year was probably a surprise as much for me as it was for everyone, just not realising that I was going to really find, I guess, my... I feel like I really found the sport for me. In a way, Enduro, for me, felt more naturally suited to my talents than even downhill did, because I always struggled to feel like I rode my best at that one-shot race running downhill. And Enduro, I felt like Mm. I had a chance to really show what I could do on a bike and, and really, really loved it. So I think it was more of a, I was just enjoying it so much because it was such a new challenge. Um, and each year the courses, we went somewhere new and the fitness element started to become more interesting to me. I realised that being fit was a huge part of being successful at Enduro and there was so much I could do in for that, was different ways of training. I spent a lot of time with the GB cross-country team and working with some of those guys and that opened my eyes to just... How much pain you can put your body through and and still still do it again the next day, um, and it certainly. But you,
1: you raced World Cup cross country, didn't you? And I did a few, it yeah, did a few in twenty fourteen. Um, oh yeah, sorry, I'm just thinking, was it is that when Dolby was? Yes,
0: I Dolby was actually yes. two thousand eleven or twelve. So yeah, I probably did a. Yeah, I was trying to think back to that crazy years of some eliminators, and and I had the crazy idea that I was going to try and qualify for the Glasgow Commonwealth Games in twenty fourteen. That was in my. Which, uh, was, okay. which was my kind of, like, driving force to put some effort in. But ultimately, that was an unlikely thing that's ever going to happen. But it, it did then mean that my 2014 EWS season was probably my best because I was the fittest I've ever been in my life. And e- enduro seemed relatively easy in comparison to some of the brutal cross-country yeah. training. So, um, yeah, I loads from that experience as well. It's just, yeah, the whole time it's just been, there's been something new and something to... To challenge me and and keep the motivation um for me to get out
1: there and ride do you think um do you think some downhill races maybe especially in the early days underestimated how tough enduro was
0: definitely I think I think there's always that little bit of a kind of oh what's this enduro thing and even like the whole everyone's so easy to criticize what something that's new and I still feel like Mm -hmm. that with the the world of bikes and, and changes and the 29-inch wheels, everyone hated that and why do you need that? And and it's like we're, all, we're terrible at embracing something different. Um, and I think quite a few of the, I guess, ex-downhill guys had gone to Enduro, so it was almost like, oh, it's just it's where you go when you finish downhill. There was always that kind of <laughs> mentality with it. Um, but I think until you, you actually realise how much bike riding you do over the course of an, an EWS weekend, um, I think you then appreciate, you know, how tough it is when you're you're back to back runs that can be 10 12 I remember even some 20 minute ones back in the day of some alpine descents and
1: doing multiple ones of those in a day it's it's brutal you mentioned 29ers and and people switching over to them but if memory serves me right you must have been one of the very first early adopters of 29 inch wheels in in enduro racing right
0: yeah I think I was I remember going to that first ever EWS in in 2013 in Punta Ralla and I'd Literally got the Trek Remedy 29er from Trek a few weeks before. It wasn't even launched, and they were like, "Oh, you should try this bike." And I remember thinking, "Well, you know what? I'll give it a go." I was a bit like, went straight from 26 to 29. Never even rode a 27.5. Mm-hmm. And I did literally the first day of practice, and I came back. I said to him, "That thing is amazing. Like, I am totally going to race it." <laughs> and then I remember racing it. I remember actually at the time, one of the journalists came and said to me, "You're you're not going to ride that." round this course no way like they were like shocked that you'd want to ride a 29er and um because at that time we didn't really have particularly great tires for them either we were on i was on some pretty like borderline not xc but they definitely weren't strong enduro tires and the compounds weren't great so I i was limited with tire choice i would say massively at the start but i just felt the rolling speed and the once you the momentum that you built with it was just incredible and i felt that from the start and um I remember winning that first ever EWS and then Trek were like went mental because this bike was not ready to be launched yet, not ready to be seen. And I'd just gone and won an EWS on it. And I was like, well, you shouldn't give it to me if you don't want it to be seen. So <laughs> it was quite funny. But yeah, it was definitely early days and I was definitely one of the first to to embrace it. And the only reason I didn't race it at any of the races that year, I think it was two or three races I'd braced the 650 bike, was just purely down to the tyres. Montrega at the time didn't have a good enough tyre selection in 29er size so that was maybe the okay. only limiting factor but i i loved that bike from the start and yeah i've never ridden anything else other than the 29er since then really
1: and punta alla was that was rough that's that's a pretty savage place to sort of go and christen a new bike
0: yeah it was and christening a bike with some pretty minimalist, fast rolling tyres too. I remember it rained the night before and the first stage I was just like, I am going to die, but I was rolling so fast <laughs> that I felt like... And those days as well, Like you, you were riding 50k, a 50k loop, you rode all of it, there was no no shuttling, no no uplifts. And fast rolling tyres, a 29er tyre, once it gets up to speed and you got that momentum that you get, it just yeah. felt like it was worth that risk with um, a bit of grip.
1: And it worked. <laughs> Do you, do you think back then there was maybe a bit more margin for error in the early days compared to now, or is it just as tight? Um,
0: no, I think, I think it's definitely become more competitive and the times have got tighter. The more people have, you know, the sport's evolved. Everyone knows what to expect from it. The equipment's definitely evolved and it's very much fit for Enduro purpose now as well. Um, so I think it, it's definitely got, it's got tighter and more competitive, I think, as the years have gone on, When just, just because everyone's learnt learned what it what the needs are for the sport now.
1: So with that Remedy 29er, did you have a hand in then developing the parts that, to go with it, like the tyres, um, wheels, things like that? Were you heavily involved?
0: Um, not hugely in terms of the parts and accessories. I know we definitely... They had feedback from us in terms of the frame and just how the overall bike... Um, worked but I did do a lot of tyre development work with Bontrager as well so I guess that kind of didn't necessarily tie in with the bike but was we did stuff with Frank Stacey the tyre designer and trying to get good casings and and good compounds and I at the time I was still very much all about it needs to roll fast as well um I think those days have changed a little bit now people are more worried about puncture proof and, and, and grip than rolling as as they are more uplifted and there's more more shuttling but back in the day that was my big thing was like let's make something that's going to roll fast and it's going to not puncture um so yeah definitely helped a lot with with that um and obviously then developing into the the next slash and 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 where we go from here so yeah it it was quite cool being part of that early days of the enduro bikes and, and their evolution
1: and with the development side of things is that something you enjoy being involved with
0: i did really enjoy it actually and when the first year that i ever rode for, for trek back in 2009 was the first year they kind of got back into downhill bikes with the with the session and we did mm. loads of testing in those first two years and i'd never really done done that much of it um and i must admit i didn't feel super confident that i would actually be that much use because i felt like do i actually the technicalities of stuff has never been my strong point i can just about look after but i'm not mechanically minded and I don't really enjoy doing mechanics on my bike if I'm totally honest I just like to <laughs> ri- just like to ride them um <laughs> but I was quite surprised when I did suspension testing particularly I thought I'm never gonna be able to feel any of these differences and we did loads of blind testing with Fox back in the day and I was they were they always you know set me off with stuff and wouldn't tell me what they'd done and I had to then feed back and and work out what it was um and I realized just I had to trust my my feelings and actually I I could feel more than I ever imagined. I couldn't tell you what I was feeling and and why in the technicalities of it, but actually that's not what they wanted. The engineers just want to know what does that feel like? They translate it into what that is in terms of actually what's happening in in the setup. So yeah, I I really enjoyed it. And looking back now, I remember the Fox guys saying that they still really enjoyed working with me because I had such, I wasn't trying to think what was going on inside the bike. I was just keeping it simple and just like, what does this feel like? Um, And yeah, really enjoyed enjoyed all those testing sessions and kind of in some ways now miss that not having the time to do it and just jumping on a bike and riding and no time to set it up i can tell (laughs) you can tell the difference like it's not feeling great but i don't have time to work out why (laughs) just go ride
1: (laughs) so with that sort of that i guess that level of technicality is that something that you sort of i guess try and encourage the riders that you mentor to go and do so they can i guess try and eke out the benefits
0: Definitely, because there's there's so much time to be gained from all sorts of those things. You know, there's knowing when you when you need to roll fast, when you need grip, learning what you can do to optimize your bike. And in this, yeah, the, the hate the kind of using the, the marginal gains term, but there's a lot to be said for it in in so many aspects. And I think it's important to know, you know, how to how to get the best out of your equipment. there's no point training as hard as you can if you then just missing out all the other pieces of the jigsaw. It's all all part of one big package and getting it all right to be the fastest you can be is important.
1: And is there any particular bike or or bikes, maybe one from downhill, one from injure, that's really stood out for you from your career that you think is or was at the time just the most incredible thing that helped you win a race?
0: Um, I think in downhill days, I would say it was... I think the bikes were, the bikes were obviously amazing, but the biggest thing that I noticed was the suspension and, and the changes that we, we made on a regular basis with having the Fox techni- technicians kind of on hand working on the, the next thing that they constantly kept coming to race with like, you want to try this, try this setup. we've been working on this and it was amazing the differences that we could get with, and even just having the fork serviced and being put on your bike fresh, you know, each race mm. weekend it was yeah, that was an amazing kind of opportunity we had then. I think and then enduro wise, just that remedy two nine and the first that first year and the second year that I had that, I still feel like that bike was just at at the time, it was a big step ahead of maybe some of the competitors that weren't able to get a twenty nine inch bike with the right geometry to feel good and people were struggling struggling with that. I felt like they hit a nail on the head straight away with that bike. It was yeah, I've got great memories.
1: Nice. Yeah, I think uh, we shot um, we shot two or three of those bikes for mountain biking UK super bikes. I think didn't we?
0: Definitely for a few years they yeah. uh, they came out of top and then it was we were we were both me and Justin were winning EWS races on them. And they were pretty successful for a few years.
1: Definitely, um, I guess sort of focusing maybe on some of the people you compete against. How was it sort of? Um, Jumping back, well, jumping into enduro and then um, racing against Anne-Caroline Chausson after all those years.
0: Yeah. Still now, I think, look back and think, well, that was, it was pretty amazing because when I got into the sport, she was like, for me, she was a massive inspiration because she was this the girl that just could jump like the boys and just had the most awesome style on the bike. Um, And I also kind of, I guess, loved the fact that she wasn't really a big, Character, she just quietly got on a got on a and just annihilated the competition and was winning world cups by you know, nearly minutes. Sometimes it was crazy. Um So yeah, she was to race downhill against her was amazing. But I never quite got to my best really until she after she retired. I guess I only ever beat her once at a downhill race that was legitimately beat her by a tiny amount. The rest of the time she smoked, she smoked me. So it was it was kind of surreal going racing her again at enduro and actually being being competitive and if not better than her at it for quite a few of the races we definitely had some amazing battles and it, it elevated my game um and it felt quite like felt quite honored in a way to be able to, to ride against her and for us to us to both push push at each other um yeah you know winning an EWS when Encaro was there was a, a massive achievement for me and those were pretty special years and I think I look back on that with a lot of good memories because I felt like I was racing one of the greatest of our sport for a few years, and we were we were definitely pushing ourselves to to get better as well, which was cool.
1: So, would you say some of your victories over her would maybe some of your hardest fought? I mean, you've got this. I guess you've got so many wins to choose from. Is there any that's done that stand out in particular?
0: Um, I think one of the ones that I was. <laughs> it's, it's, it was actually, it's ironic because it, I didn't actually win it, but I did because I had a penalty for losing a back number, which <coughs> was a French one of those stupid rules where I lost, we had a thunderstorm in, I think it was in Val d'Isere, I want to say. And we basically just crashed I don't know how many times in the mud on the first day, lost my back number and hadn't realized and forgot to basically pin it on a day two. And I remember having to, having to beat Encaro by like a certain amount of time to to win the race. And it was a really yeah. long physical pedally stage. And I absolutely annihilated myself and I managed to beat her by enough to have, to have won the race. But then they penalized me by like 30 seconds or something because this back number and I ended up losing it by like a few seconds. But (laughs) ironically, I just felt like that was how I performed that day to try and, to try and beat her when I'd not had a great day the day before was just, was cool. And there's a few other of that same year where we just, we definitely battled and had kind of back and forth stage wins and, it was, yeah, I feel like it was the best riding I've ever I've ever done. Um,
1: Is that including downhill?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think wow. so. Yeah. I feel like it was um, just the Enduro was different in the sense that it was, there was so much riding in a, in a day and over a race weekend, even some of the two days and to, the differences in terrain and the, the physical side of it, getting your head around it for two days of racing was, for me, they were more... Um, fulfilling victories I think in okay. maybe as well I was getting older and kind of getting towards the end of my career as well you appreciate stuff more but um I look back on them now with kind of feeling like I'd I'd worked so hard to get there that they felt they were really special victories
1: I guess that brings us nicely on to the next point like how do you stay so consistent with your riding when you know to win one world title in enduro is incredible but to then go and do it three times is astounding. That that level of consistency, the perseverance, the motivation—you know what goes into a weekend where you, you know, you how do you weigh up all those factors, the risks, and everything like that to know that you're going to come away with hopefully a, a ride that's going to stick you on the podium.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing to mention is that that consistency of equipment as well. I think that's the thing of you know, not having. Not having a puncture. I mean, I had a few punctures along the way, but never enough to to ruin a race. I don't think I ever, I never not finished an EWS in those three years, and that's pretty amazing. And that's a good, incredible. a good kind of yeah, good note to all the equipment that we we ran. I guess the choices that we made to make sure that we we had good stuff, and I think also then in the way I approached it, and once I guess you're you've got the confidence and you know what you need to do as well you were able to ride a, I felt like I was riding at a limit that wasn't above myself and I wasn't taking okay. undue risks. And I knew I was quite calculated and I knew there was, I think again, being on a 29er, a lot of people weren't on 29ers at that point. I always would pick stages that I knew that would suit me and my bike. And my fitness at the time was definitely my a plus point. Um, okay. And I'd always think, right, okay, this is a stage where I know I need, I can make time. I don't need to take any risk because it was maybe a more pedalling section, or a, you know, I need to carry speed. And I would put a lot of effort into those stages as being the ones where I wanted to make time. And then I could then take the more technical, sketchy, potential puncturing stages or areas. Not easy, obviously, but not take the risk and not hit them flat out. Maybe be more cautious. So I was, I was probably looking back pretty very calculated i guess in terms of where i felt like i could push and where i felt like i could i could ride safe and smart and i think that that helped over the years of the consistency of you know of not making too many mistakes and not riding above my limit too much
1: so quite a strategic approach and
0: yeah definitely um, and, and even little things like i can give all my secrets away now because i'm well past it but like <laughs> like um like wearing carbon sold XC shoes on, on certain stages or, or days, say on a, a day that was more peddly than another day, I'd wear, I'd always think, right, what can I get out of the peddling? Can I put, I'm not going to have to walk or hike on a bike today. Let's put my XC shoes on because I know that they're going to give me a bit more power, a bit more output. And yeah, just thinking about nutrition and food and lots, just so many little things. I think I was at the time, now I look back, I was probably yeah just getting everything all the little details were being thought about which I think all add up and help
1: did so so just just to pick up on that so did did, did you find switching shoes for example that didn't throw you off it didn't sort of you know for want of a better term put you out of step
0: no because I because I used to always I've had I always had a cross-country bike with me when I was racing in enduro too and I'd always go and go on a spin in the evening or I'd like riding between races because we were in the camper van with me and James it was we used to like ride drive between races and I'd go and ride up a col on the way or something or like you know I'd always switch in bikes and shoes I was always I was never that kind of person that was like that kind of particular about saddle height by the millimeter or shoe cleat position everything was a little bit different which probably sounds really Mm -hmm. non-professional too but I think you (laughs) you learn to kind of adapt to it as well rather than being having stuck to those rigid
1: parameters. Do you think there's anyone else around right now racing in Jura that's as detailed focus as that?
0: Hard to say because I don't think I I don't necessarily know some of those people that well, and you wouldn't, I would never have shared some of that info with anyone unless you really knew me probably. Um, But I like to think that Hattie Harnden's been a bit of a project of mine from for a few years now, and she just got third at the EWS at the weekend, so she definitely is heard all my secrets and stories and is you know who knows maybe taking someone on board but she's got her own natural talent and ability beyond mine actually if i'm honest so i think she's we'll see we'll see something special from her over the next five ten years i really hope because um i was never going to be racing world cup cross country at the level she is (laughs) and she's already doing that at age 19 so um yeah yeah it's
1: pretty insane cool
0: cool to see and it's definitely um heard some of my old stories down the years so she'll take take it and put her own spin on it hopefully and, and do even better than me
1: amazing um so after all those years of competition how how did you go about making the decision to step away
0: it's if anything it's a hard one i, <laughs> I wouldn't say i still struggle with it now but being back at the races now even this year it's like i still in my, some of me wants to still be there racing rather than being on the other side of the fence so i think it's always yeah. going to be a. A hard thing for anyone that's raced to really turn away from it completely but I think for me it was an age thing more than anything um getting to the point where you know if I wanted to have a family I need to start thinking about it because the old clock was ticking and and also just having achieved so much in the sport I was all along I kind of felt like I'd said to myself like I don't want to end up dragging my career out too long that one I'm not enjoying it anymore. And two, my body's so broken that I won't be able to enjoy the rest of my life and ride my bike yeah. because I've got too many injuries that are stopping me enjoying it. So those were kind of some of the big factors, I guess, that were part of that decision. Um, and yeah, wanting James and I knew that we wanted to have, have a family, and having Toby, we left that until I was nearly 40. So it was kind of had to really um make those decisions with and I guess leaving the sport when you're at the top was always something that was an, an amazing thing to be able to make that choice when you were in that position and And it felt right at the time.
1: And you said, you you know, there's times when you miss it.
0: Oh, definitely. Cause it's, it's such a huge part of, it's been such a huge part of my life in terms of time scale and, and, um, focus and it, it it, it evolves everything. Like your life is bike racing, the way you sleep, eat, who you hang out with, what you do, you know, it, it's such a encompassing thing to be part of that it's it's hard to then turn away from that and 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 be normal, I guess in some ways. <laughs> if that's ever possible. Um and yeah, and it's also a really cool it's it's an amazing way to spend your life and you meet amazing people on it. Right? So it's um there's I don't think the real world is ever going to probably fill 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 all of those um those gaps but I can safely say that the whole parenthood and and being a mom is something that's on an equal level it's just very different but it's an amazing thing and I'm I'm totally glad that I was able to kind of make the decision and didn't keep racing until it was too late and I'm able to now still enjoy riding my bike and still be involved and and love seeing Toby enjoy riding bikes and in the outdoors and it's it's a equally fulfilling kind of stage of life and a fun one to to be
1: starting and probably just as tiring right well i mean i can speak from experience so i know it's just as tiring
0: it's m- much harder because you know <laughs> it is totally because you're not i was sewing kind of my own boss and did things when i wanted when I, how i wanted and now it's just like you're yeah. basically the the slave to a little creature and, and trying, <laughs> trying to fit anything else out i mean around it is impossible but, but good. <laughs>
1: tell us a bit about um how you're involved at trek factory racing what's your have you got an official title or role
0: i don't think so i think it's impossible to to call all the little things i do into something um but i kind of i started off basically just being the i guess the enduro kind of logistics manager so i started off doing all the accommodations and flights bookings for the enduro team and very much the kind of not on the road team manager i guess i'm not traveling with them but i'm doing all the stuff behind the scenes and then it kind of yeah. evolved more into to working with the the xc team and i'm now basically kind of like a an athlete liaison i guess between the athletes and and trek so if the athletes have any issues or if they want to talk about their not so much you know that i'm not really doing anyone's coaching but just like if they've got issues with race schedules and what they want to do and what they want to achieve and how we can help them best um and also work a lot with even the logistics for the XC team and the, the world of COVID has turned an extra spanner in the works to what that involves in getting people traveling around the world to race bikes. And it's, it's quite a full-time job navigating the, the paperwork and COVID tests and all the rest of it. So all sorts of stuff um, becomes involved. And and also a big thing is to try and create a, a good, fun, successful team environment. And that's one of my big things is, is also trying to, Create links between the downhill, enduro, and cross-country teams, so they're not separate okay. entities, and the riders have the <clears throat> opportunity to share skills, ride with the others, and and build a. For me, a mountain bike team, not an XC team or downhill team. We're all mountain bikers, and I really want to bring that back to the sport. So I feel like in over the years, it's kind of very much from when I started, it was all the same. We all just rode bikes, where it's right. become very specialized into downhill, very specialized into XC, and those often those two teams didn't mix or didn't meet and they were seen like it was impossible for them to get on. And I kind of wanted to dispel that and feel like there is, there is common ground and we can learn a lot from each other. And we've worked a lot with kind of, we've got staff that work across multiple, you know, across two, more than one program. And it's starting to really, I think, see, see the benefits of that in the success that we're having and, and the, the atmosphere and the fun that everyone's having within the teams is is really starting to see it. and that's been kind of my one of my little projects and and things that I felt is really
1: important to get happy successful athletes so it sounds like you've uh bitten a fair bit off then to try and get all these things going
0: yeah you could say that <laughs> you could say that but wow. yeah, it's cool I'm, I'm enjoying it and then I've learned so much I never ever thought I'd be doing a kind of a job that involves so much kind of good communication and gelling people together and lots of stuff that yeah you wouldn't think is that important but you realize is when you get down to the the kind of nitty-gritty of how teams run and how environments need to be for success
1: well i'm i'm guessing you know as you've been on the other side of it on the receiving end almost you've got a better perspective than anyone yeah i think so
0: You, you can kind of you know what what worked for me not so that everyone's different but you kind of got an idea of what athletes want versus what you know someone from a product department in the US wants sometimes they don't necessarily meet in the middle so it's trying to make sure that both parties get what they want out of the relationship and that's the and find some common ground in the middle
1: and um, and can you just talk to us a little bit about Timo Racing so we we sort of we touched on it really briefly at the at the beginning there and we've you've just mentioned Hattie Hand and the success she had at the weekend, just gone getting third place, uh, in, where was it? Vada Fasa. That's it. That's, that's right. So, but you've also, you've mentored Evie Richards who seems to be really, um, really firing on all cylinders this year. It could be a really, really good year for her. And she's selected for Tokyo as well, isn't she?
0: She is, yeah, if that's out, yeah, in the news, I'm not quite sure, but yeah, that's best worst kept secret,
1: yeah, and um, and then you've got the likes of Jay Randall in Enduro, Emily, and Corin Carrick Anderson, so I guess maybe some of the younger listeners won't know about Crawford, their dad, yeah, and what an incredible rider he was, um one of the possibly scariest to watch, but easily. One of the fastest. the fastest guys out there. Yeah, it's, so it's quite bizarre that he's now got kids
0: that are at the age where they're um, kind of sixteen and fourteen and and racing at you know a successful level, both national champions in their youth age groups in cyclocross and cross country. And and Emily actually has turned her hand to some enduros early this year, taking a, some scalps at the uh, locals' in, in Tweed yeah. Valley a few weeks ago um kind of first ever real proper enduro and then she then went on to do the one at Graithwaite, the PNBA, and was won the under twenty ones at age sixteen and <laughs> beating some of the girls. So some serious, serious talent. And and it yeah, it was great to be able to kind of help out Crawford when he actually came to me asking for, you know, wanting to do more with his kids and they were really keen and, and interested and it's been it's been great. And I feel like in some ways I don't I'm not doing you know, I'm not seeing those guys on a regular basis. I'm not doing loads for them, but I'm always there to answer questions. I'm giving the opportunity to ride good bikes with bikes on loan from Trek for the year. Um, yeah. It's definitely, you know, it's it's not a high budget thing by any stretch. They've got a little bit of money towards their expenses. I get them some kit thanks to the cycle jersey up in Scotland. So it's it is very much a, a grassrootsy thing, and I'm just there to to give advice and help out and and be a soundboard for a lot of the time. Um, and when I do get the chance to ride with them, I do obviously with Hattie, I've spent a lot more time because she lives literally two, three miles from my house. And the same with Evie. They've both kind of grown up through our local cycling club and then me dragging them to races from a very early age. I mean, Hattie was doing enduros when she was 15, the big 50K loops and in uh, when the old Steve Parr's enduros was happening. Mm. So she's been doing it for quite a while, but just as a youngster and starting to see the benefits of that and yeah just been part of of our local cycling scene for a long time so yeah been really cool Part progress and i just love being able to give a bit back and and see those guys get the same enjoyment and fun out of racing bikes that,
1: that i have and, and with those guys it seems that you sort of you, you would you, you don't push them but maybe encourage them to dip their toe in the water for you know different disciplines so it isn't just they just do cross country. They just do enduro or downhill. It feels like, you know, I, I see you know pictures from your Instagram and stuff like that. And you're at the cyclocross. You're at the XC. You, you know, those guys are competing across everything. Is that something you're actively encouraging?
0: Massively. That's been one of my big, big things with the whole teamo thing is that I, I didn't want it to be like a singular focus. And I think I, I still feel now in, in lots of sports, not just cycling, that there's so much pressure on kids to perform at such an early age and they specialize mm-hmm. in something so young that it scares me that ultimately I want all these kids to enjoy riding bikes the rest of their life. I couldn't care less whether they ever become world champion or the best that they can, they can be. I just want them to have fun with it. And I, I worry that if you specialize too soon and there's so much pressure on kids to do that, at, you know, the under eight cyclocross league sometimes, then um, they'll lose the fun. They'll lose the passion for it. So I think having a different kind of focus across disciplines is is healthy for that and i also think it's super good for the skills i think if you can if you can race a bike technically well and you can also be fit then Hmm. you're going to have the best chance of being successful and having fun with it and hurting yourself you know the least possible so i think as well it's just it's fun to do different things and you can learn a lot from each of their disciplines so that's definitely something i've encouraged and and do massively want them all to kind of and even Hattie now, she's just rocked up this weekend in Leger to race the World Cup in between two World Enduros for cross-country. So, I mean, realistically, she's going to have to specialise soon. But I still think she's young enough to be able to to do both. And she's having fun with it. And look at the likes of Van der Poel and a few of those guys that are yeah. doing it across a few disciplines. And that's a that's a completely different level. But it, it kind of shows that with good programme and good planning and good rest and recovery, you probably can if you've got the talent and they're having fun with it too so why not emulate that at a, a kind of a younger low-key level and see where it goes that's my theory
1: well it's, i mean it's sort of it, it reminds me of when we used to hear the stories about uh, the french cycling federation when you get juniors go through the ranks and they'd have to do cross-country trials downhill and they still do and they could
0: and that's why and still they that, still they? do that at, at youth age and that's why honestly you look at what, who's being successful again now in, in mountain biking? It's the French again. We're back round in a circle, and I feel like mm. there's any any French guys out there they can ride bikes technically, and they can, they know how to pedal because they've come through that theory of that that theory that school of appreciating and respecting all the other disciplines and having a go at them as well. So I think it's really good, a big part of the success of why the French have been so good.
1: Do you ever think we'll see British cycling adopting? Obviously, you've almost got. The proof of concept with the riders you've worked with the French have got it will we ever see British cycling sort of adopt that and, and encourage it with the youngsters
0: I would love to but sadly until we lose the way our funding comes from within British cycling and UK sport and Olympic funding is the only thing that matters and, and really is what funds British cycling then we're going to struggle because not all the disciplines that I'm talking about are Olympic sports. So yeah. unless they're Olympic sport, there's no funding, there's no programmes and there's no interest in it, which is, for me, super sad. So I feel like we're going to have to do something from the outside if we ever want to see it done right. right. But I'd like to be proved wrong one day.
1: Obviously, yeah, we've been chatting for a while now, so we're, we'll start to try and wrap things up a little bit. Um, what I did want to ask about was... E bikes and e bike racing. I saw you, well, you and I bumped into one another at Bike Park Wales in the winter where you were, um, I think you were doing a bit of suspension testing um, ahead of potentially doing some racing. Is that That right?
0: That was the plan, yeah. Well, it still is the plan. It's just all been put back a bit. So the first e bike race in is not until September now. Um, But that was still on the cards. It's still on the cards, yeah. And I'm actually doing one next week right in saying it. it? will be in La Plan in France. It's like an a e-bike festival, a new event. It's like an invite-only two-day e-bike kind of... I guess it's... I don't actually know that much about it yet. I haven't read the information, but it sounded amazing. And I said, yes, please. And it's going to be like <laughs> two big days, I think, 50, 60K, actually maybe more than that, um, with 4,000 metres of descending and climbing each day. So some big days on the e-bike around the valley... Um, valleys around the plan and volham and around there so yeah looking forward to that it's like um it it's the whole e-bike thing for me i guess was a a bit of a tough call like do you get involved in something that has this slight uh dislike by many people or it's kind of frowned yeah. upon i guess as such a successful bike racer in the past to then turn to the e-bike it was like oh no i can't believe you're doing that what are you doing that for you you sell out all the rest of it so there's quite a bit of i guess stigma attached to it i had to be like is this really what i want to do um and even now i sometimes think oh no i'm kind of not not embarrassed but it's like it's not a normal bike is it so it's it's kind of a different way of racing and i just for me i've just gone beyond that now and thought you know what am i having fun riding my bike yes is this something that's evolving and changing yes and i've always enjoyed being part of that evolution of our sport and disciplines i've kind of always been at the the beginning of the enduro world series and now at the beginning of the e-bike side of it and i've just i've always enjoyed that kind of pilot scheme idea of of what's mm-hmm. next in our sport and, and enjoy getting involved with it and helping shape it and and maybe having input and some of the experience i've got from my racing for so many years to be able to help steer steer these things so that's kind of some of my reasons for doing it and and two right now with work being a mom time things I want to get out of life too I don't have the same ability to race at the level I well I'm also can't because I'm getting old at the level I once was so this for me is like being able to get back to the racing at a high level in something that's different and new and for sure it's it's fun that's the main thing that for me it's just been a, a cool thing to be part of and i'll enjoy doing a few races this year and kind of dip my toe back into being competitive
1: again so i mean oh, sorry I've, I've got tons of questions i've always got lots of questions so um i'll try and keep it brief though um what i was going to ask is so with your role with trek and from the sounds of it how busy you are i spoke to james just the other week and he said uh the headaches you were having trying to sort all the flights around the COVID restrictions and things like that. And obviously being a mum, how do you fit everything in? Are you a strict planner? Do you just try and set time aside to go and ride your bike or would you just sort of do it in a more ad hoc way?
0: I'm normally a super strict planner and I, the only way I've realised and I haven't, actually, this last year, I was actually pretty good at this. I basically just employed Phil Dixon, who was my coach back in the day for Enduro. And I said, right, Phil, I need some help again. And I needed someone to basically give me a bit of structure and someone to be accountable to, to make sure I actually went out and rode my bike regularly. And that was the only oh, way nice. I could do it. Because I just, I I can't prioritise my bike riding anymore because it is not my job and it's not my yeah only focus and it so it was very much becoming just like I'd fit in the odd bit here and there um so last summer I did manage to find some time And I think maybe lockdown helped because we were home and it, it kept it simple and just getting out for an hour and a half two hours each morning I had the seven till nine slot was normally my bike riding slot and then I'd do his work and then James would get out in the in the afternoon or the evening so that was kind of it wasn't a lot and in terms of you know, volume of bike riding—it's the least I've, I've ever done, but it was still enough consistency that I felt okay on my bike. Um, but this year, I think just the work's ramped up and the whole COVID thing—I I haven't got back to actually getting any structure, and I am fully in the ad hoc, grabbing time to ride when I can, which is pretty poor right now. um And just going away with the teams actually is probably when I get to do these little mini training camps. I go away and then have to try and jump on the XC course with Evie and do some laps and and suffer um so yeah right now I I would say I'm probably in the worst fitness shape I've been for a while um just because normal work and and life's taken priority but for sure I'm I'm still riding when I can but it's nothing like I would like or what I have envisaged I would be doing in the build-up to a few races so but that's fine that's um, I've got to the point where you can't do everything um and in a few years' time, Toby will be at school. And I know that there's light in the tunnel in terms of that, and I'll hopefully get more time for my bike back then. But when I look back at the years I've had riding and the MAV hours I've had chance to ride, then mm-hmm. I can't be too um too sad that this is just a, a time and a phase in life where other stuff's taking priority.
1: So I mean I guess that sort of brings me nicely onto the final one then. So what what does the future hold for you?
0: Well, as I said earlier, I said nothing's ever been planned, and, and no, there is. I plan. I plan on a micro level, like I said, what day to day and, and month to month. But in terms of the the grand scale of, of life, um, I actually don't know. I mean, I, for me, I know that I'll always be riding my bike at some in some capacity because that's what yeah, I enjoy doing, and, and both James and I have a lot of fun doing it. So we'll, we'll for sure be doing that. Um, how long I have this job with Trek? Who knows? It's the bike industry; things come and go. Um, <laughs> but I, I like to think that it's something I'm enjoying doing and doing well, that there's opportunities there, but yeah, nothing, nothing's planned out. And um, I like to feel like stuff will, will fall into place and, and we'll see. I just hope that it involves bikes. That's all the main thing for me.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, to the listeners here, Tracy and I have been trying to get this podcast sorted out for a good few weeks now. And, and it's, uh, what, it's 10 o'clock now in the evening um, where I am, 11 where you are. My Wi-Fi's been pretty
0: terrible as well, so apologies for that.
1: <laughs> Don't you worry. So, um, so, yeah, thank you so much for making it happen. Uh, we really appreciate it, Trace. And thank you to all our listeners. And if you could always please ensure that you like and subscribe the podcast wherever you listen to it so you never miss an episode. All right. Thank you. And we'll see you again soon for another episode. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com.